this is Michael Cohen, and you're listening to the Mayor Culpa Podcast. The cleanup effort by the GOP to distance themselves from idiotic comments made by Donald Trump and other MAGA figures praising Vladimir Putin in the run-up to the Russian invasion of Ukraine has begun in earnest. But when you see a member of Congress say things like this, the one thing I want you to know, they're outliers in the largest sense possible on our side. And there's some on the left that are outliers. So let's end with this thought, that America believes that Zelensky and the Ukrainians are the good guys, and Putin's the bad guys, and we'd like to be helping the good guys more. In the annals of political pronouncement that have aged poorly and quickly, relatively few rank up there with Trump's hailing Vladimir Putin's savvy and genius comments two weeks ago, even as the Russian president ramped up an invasion of Ukraine. Russia is now credibly accused of war crimes, and Putin is quite likely insane. Last I checked, that's pretty fucking far from being ingenious. Russian state TV is also using clips of Tucker Carlson on Fox News. Why would they do that? Because he sounds like one of the Kremlin pundits on the Russian state television. In fact, they have described them as uh, uh, practically one of their co-hosts. It's uh, such a perfect alignment that they barely add anything. They just air his uh, translated uh, monologues and the very long clips that they're playing on their TV to show that even in America, people side with them. And while Republicans were slow to distance themselves from these idiotic comments, initially, it's become a veritable stampede as the right scurries to cover its ass. Even the spineless Kevin McCarthy took the time to push back on Trump's comments. Now comes the grand finale. Trump, realizing that he uncorked a stinker of epic proportions, is now trying to pretend that it was all just a ruse. Get this. Donald Trump Jr. said his father's repeated praise and legitimization of authoritarians like Putin was merely playing these foreign leaders like a fiddle. He knew exactly how to play these guys, the younger Trump insists. I can't believe Trump said something nice about Putin, Kim, Xi, anyone. He must love them. He's folding to them. You know, if it was me in charge, I'd tell them to go screw themselves, right? This is some nerd in his mom's basement who's never dealt with anything, never actually had any power, never understood those people because he's never been in the same room as them uh, in academia. They're writing this stuff like it's real, like they actually have a say, like they actually know what the hell they're talking about. Do you ever think that like all other things, maybe Trump understood that. He knew exactly how to play these guys and he played it like a fiddle. Unfortunately, it seems that Trump elder didn't get the fucking memo. During a lengthy interview with Fox News' Sean Hannity on Thursday night, Hannity played a role he had become exceedingly familiar with, and that's trying to coach Trump through saying the right thing. In this case, the thing was that Putin is evil or an enemy. 90% of Americans, after all, dislike Putin in a new poll, and 86% view him very unfavorably. So it's kind of a slam dunk politically and would sure help Trump's fellow Republicans who have strained to assure they view Putin as evil, even if Trump hasn't. But Trump, true to form, wouldn't take the hint. You came under some fire when you said that Vladimir Putin's very smart. 
I think I know you a little bit better than most people in the media, and uh, I think you also recognize he's evil, do you not? Well, I was referring to the fact that he said this is an independent nation, talking about Ukraine, and I said that's some said this is before there was any attack. Attack. He's calling it an independent nation now. A lot of things are changing. When you look, this doesn't seem to be the same Putin that I was dealing with. But I will tell you, he wouldn't have changed if I were dealing with him. He wouldn't have changed. You know, I supplied, and I know uh, Biden is trying to take credit, and they're all trying to take credit about many of the things, the incredible things that we did in the Trump administration. But we supplied the uh, anti-tank busters. They're called javelins. Man. And without them, you wouldn't have you wouldn't have anything like what's happening. I mean, they're knocking out the tanks. Repeatedly, Hannity tried to elicit Trump into calling Putin evil or something amounting to it. And repeatedly, of course, Trump declined, instead focusing on tangential issues. When he did lament the atrocious scenes in Ukraine, he talked about it merely as something sad or regrettable that was happening, rather than attaching it to Putin. It's very hard for him to to do this right now. He was gonna do it quickly, surgically, and it didn't work out. So in a way he's cornered, and that's both a good thing and a bad thing. It's a bad thing because he could do some very bad things. He's got big power, so do we. We have bigger power than he does, but he could do some very bad things. So it's not a good time to be put into a position to try and negotiate. With that being said, I think he'd love, I wish, I bet he said, I wish I'd never started this mess because he's in, he's in a mess. And even if he so-called takes it over, he'll be fighting for years. And, you know, everything's knocked down. It's all knocked down. These cities have to be rebuilt. It's going to cost trillions of dollars to re rebuild. Whoever thought that showing Trump images of death and destruction would elicit some kind of actual human response from the former president doesn't know much about Donald Trump. The man has no fucking feelings, and he certainly doesn't care about people dying in Ukraine. Trump only views this in terms of how it affects Donald Trump. That actual human beings are dying is of no concern to him. Trump's only mention of Putin, and I know him well, and this was not something that was going to happen at all. Hannity having not gotten the answer that he hoped for with his broad question, tried to drill down. He even, in the course of his question, tried to exclude Trump's stock response that this wouldn't have happened under Trump. Well, I would have done it a lot differently than they've done it, and that what they've done is just terrible. Back and forth between the United States. Look, Biden, every time he gets up, he says, they are a nuclear nation. He should say, we are a nuclear nation. And you know, I rebuilt our whole nuclear arsenal. Stronger, bigger, better than ever before. It's better and it's bigger than Russia. He should say, we are a nuclear nation and we don't want war and we don't want to wipe out anything to do and we don't want to wipe out Russia. This is the way he should be talking. Instead he's saying, we don't want war, we're we're not, you know, he doesn't talk about our nuclear capability. Hannity, though, was undeterred. Having not gotten Trump to say the word evil, he tried instead for enemy. He suggested that maybe Trump was, as his son suggested, and Sun Tzu wrote, keeping his friends close and his enemies closer. Um, I've known you well over 25 years, and uh, when you got criticized for saying that Vladimir Putin is smart, 
Um, we've had many conversations, um, and you've often quoted to me Sun Tzu, the art of war. Keep your friends close and your enemies closer. Is that how you viewed Vladimir? Did you view Vladimir Putin and people like President Xi and Kim Jong-un and the Iranian mullahs as enemies that you needed to keep close? I got along with these people. I got along with them well. That doesn't mean they're good people. It doesn't mean uh, anything other than the fact that I understood them and perhaps they understood me. Maybe they understood me even better. That's okay. Because they knew there'd be a big penalty. In North Korea, I got along with Kim Jong-un. When, when I first came into office, as you know, uh, uh, President Obama met me in the Oval Office. He said, we're going to probably, the biggest problem you have is North Korea. We're going to end up in a war with North Korea. Could be a nuclear war. We had no problem with North Korea. I got along with him well. We understood each other. I got along with Putin. I got along with Xi. Hannity then tried again. He wanted to know whether Trump at least viewed leaders like Putin as being capable of evil things. Putin is for Russia, and you see what happened. And that's all because they didn't respect our leader. By this point, it was impossible to believe Trump didn't understand what Hannity was trying to get him to do. Hannity asked Trump whether Putin was evil, an enemy, and finally merely just capable of evil things. Trump affirmed none of them. Anyone who watched this painful exchange saw the purest distillation of Donald Trump's lack of empathy or moral compass on display. More than anything, it was like trying to get a serial killer to discuss his victim in human terms. Now understand, Trump's a fucking sociopath, incapable of thinking beyond himself in any capacity. In terms of Putin, he can only comprehend the Russian leader in terms of how he relates to Donald Trump. He does not think in terms of evil, as that would require him to pass some kind of moral judgment, and Trump does not possess a moral compass. Thus, Hannity flailed in his effort to walk Trump towards a rational statement. Nevertheless, it's fascinating to watch in action, but it's also fucking terrifying in that Trump is certainly as evil as Putin. The reason he does not condemn him is that he admires what Putin has done. And now for the main event. My next guest on Maya Culpa, Michael Smirkanish, began his political career at the age of 29, working as a staffer for then-President George Herbert Walker Bush. Since those early days, he has become one of the preeminent voices of American talk radio and an island of centrist sanity in what has become a sea of growing extremism on the air. He is the host of the eponymously titled Smirkanish, which airs Saturdays on CNN, and is the host of the daily Michael Smirkanish program on Sirius XM's POTUS channel. He joins me today on Mea Culpa as Trump attempts to rewrite the story of his own corrupt history in Ukraine with the GOP, only to be happy to indulge. The politics of this war are only beginning to reverberate at home. How this will affect Biden in the long run is still anyone's guess. That said, there are sure signs that the GOP is running scared on Trump's support of Putin. Luckily, I can always count on Smirkanish to tell it to me straight. So let's go now to that conversation. Okay, so Michael, first off, 
Let's talk about Vladimir Putin for a second. Do you think he's a madman, as some are suggesting, who has now lost his grip of reality? And this invasion has less to do with Russian sovereignty than some imaginary grievance that he cooked up to justify the invasion. And if he is actually crazy, how worried should we all be about the prospect of a nuclear war? Well, I used to think he was crazy like like a fox, not necessarily crazy, but Ukraine has changed my view. Now I'm thinking he's more crazy than crazy like a fox because who else would launch this type of an unprovoked invasion and kill so many innocent people? I'm very worried about the ratcheting up of where this thing stands now. I mean, because look, what we know we know that there's about seven countries in the world that all possess nuclear we- uh, weapons. But Russia has what has been estimated at around 4,500 nuclear warheads in their military stockpile. Now, like with what you're finding with most of the armaments and most of the uh, military equipment that Russia has and is they're currently using in this invasion on the Ukraine, it's older um, military, uh, you know, vehicles and, and so on. And a lot of the stuff actually is not operating, which of course is why you have that 40 mile convoy that's basically, you know, locked, it's locked up on itself. Is there a chance that you think, is there a chance that you think that he would actually use nuclear weapons on not just Ukraine, But on other countries, as it appears to me, and I'm no military genius, that he doesn't look like he wants to stop at just the Ukraine. So I'm concerned that he would use nuclear weapons. I I, look, I'm naive to these things the way that you are. I read a great deal. I pay attention. And like you, I speak to a lot of very uh, intelligent people who are dialed in and have credentials. I think the issue that you're framing is exactly why this Russian MiG fighter transaction, where the Poles wanted the Ukrainians to have the MiG fighters, but they they didn't want their fingerprints directly on it. So they wanted to send them to Ramstein. And then the United States was going to facilitate the transfer. But the United States said, no, we don't want to really be the ones either. Michael, what I don't understand is this. We're already so far into this in terms of sanctions, in terms of weaponry that we've directly provided Ukraine, in terms of money that's been allocated to fight Russia specifically. And then somehow it's not okay if we're responsible for delivering these Russian-made MiG fighters to Ukraine so that they can protect their airspace because that's a step too far. And then maybe, you know, we're going to we're going to cause an attack to be launched against Poland and because of Article 5, we'll be in it. It's very difficult for me to see why one of those factors would cause Putin to be provoked but not the others. Yeah, well, one of the other problems that I see here is that Putin has ordered Russian nuclear deterrent forces to be put on high alert in this, you know, in this massive escalation of tension now that the West has gotten themselves involved and started to, as you just stated, started to provide military weapons, the javelins, the the, um, handful of other type of... um, missiles uh, to the Ukrainian forces. And this has now, of course, aggravated Vladimir Putin because his intent was to basically roll in 
and watches Ukraine just crumbled, you know, at the mighty force of Russia. What we've now all learned is that Russia's military is not nearly as strong as what it's been purported. But let's not also forget that they do have long range and they also have short range missile capability. So not only is this a problem for the Ukraine, not only is it a problem for Poland, for Bulgaria, Romania, and so on. I think it's a problem also for the West. It's a problem for the United States. I think you can't assume, this is what you're saying, you can't assume that they'd be so ham-handed and inept in firing nuclear weapons as they have been in certain respects in this ground invasion of Ukraine. One doesn't necessarily follow the other, and it's a hell of a risk to take to assume otherwise. Yeah, I mean, I don't think we have the ability, not even for a second, to think that when you finally have somebody like Vladimir Putin... He's cornered. Economically, he is cornered. Did you see the number of U.S. companies as well as other companies from around the world now pulling out of Russia? They have no credit card, right? There's no no, uh, Visa. There's no MasterCard. There's no American Express. I mean, they stop with the food between McDonald's, Coca-Cola, Pepsi, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, how many massive multinational companies have decided to pull away from Russia as a direct result of this. There's going to come a time that he realizes that this was a massive mistake. And very much like Donald Trump, they don't make mistakes. Everybody else makes the mistakes. It's not them. And so he's going to have to do, in my estimation, and once again, I'm not a military genius by any, like yourself, I'm just watching and reading He's going to have to do something in order to protect his own image, which, of course, is more important to him than that of his Russian soldiers. So here's an interesting question that follows what you just said, because, yeah, it's like more than 300 uh, global corporations at this count that are U.S. based who have all decided to do exactly what you just described, including McDonald's, which is interesting in and of itself, because Tom Friedman published this piece back in the mid-90s saying, we're probably at a point where two countries that each have McDonald's in them, because it represents a certain level of sophistication of their economy, will never go to war with one another. And of course, this all blows that theory to hell, but it's an interesting talking point. How about this one, Michael? Not on the list, because they've been exempted from the sanctions, are big pharma. So there's this idea that because of humanitarian concerns, it would be a bridge too far to say that we're going to shut off the accessibility of Russians, rank and file Russians, from the meds they need that flow from these Western interests. Are we ready to play that kind of hardball so as to try and support Ukraine and squelch what Putin is up to? It's a great question. Isn't it? It sure is, considering... You don't really see um, Putin in terms of humanitarian uh, needs that are going on now throughout the Ukraine. They were supposed to set up these corridors so that you could bring in aid and you could bring in food you know, to these civilians that are now basically 
without food and without um, medical supplies. So it's interesting that we haven't taken that route yet, nor have we asked any of the big pharma companies within which to stop. But I think that may end up being the next thing. But what really also concerned me is you may remember just before Maybe a week or so before the invasion, he decided to start rolling his 100,000-plus troops into the Ukraine. You may remember that the Kremlin made it very well known that they had just successfully test-launched some hypersonic cruise missile that, that honestly is something that I think even surprised the United States. You're talking about a, um, a missile that's flying at you know, at hypersonic speed, which of course makes it extremely difficult to shoot down because it's just moving that quickly. I'm worried about the whole situation. And, you know, it's interesting because Joe Lieberman had a great piece in the Wall Street Journal uh, arguing that we must impose a no-fly zone over Ukraine, which is, which is tantamount, I think, to going to war with Russia and then Mark Halpern, in his newsletter, The Wide World of News, went a step further and said, let's accept the fact that, I'm paraphrasing here, but that World War III has begun and that we have no choice, that we need to confront them and we need to see it to its end. Now, I read from both of those pieces aloud on my own radio program, and the response from some callers was to say, it's one thing to talk tough, but are you prepared to see American men and women, men obviously mostly, die in the line of fire to defend Ukraine. And in the end, that's the issue. I guess it most it? certainly is. But, the, you know, when we're talking about Putin and talking tough, you know, there were many people here in the United States that questioned whether or not that that hypersonic missile was actually legitimate or not. And, you know, one of the things that many of these people were doing is accusing um, Putin of fabricating the whole thing in order to sort of prevent any sort of strike against Russia and to stop the aggression that he is um, taking right now on, the U on Ukraine and the Ukrainian people. Have you heard anything about that? I have not, but it sounds like you're describing Kim Jong-un, that he might be firing things with no payloads simply as a scare tactic. You wouldn't put it past Putin the way that he plays, but I really don't know anything I mean, else you, about you that. You might recall, one of the things that they showed, I mean, I thought it was very interesting, the fact that the Russian government would actually put out sort of schematics of the missile, right, this hypersonic missile, that can actually make a right turn. So, you know, normally missiles will travel in a trajectory. This one has the ability within which to turn, which I just, again, you know, do I think it will, it's possible? Anything is possible. I mean, we've seen that. I mean, heck, if you are age and you grew up on Star Trek, right? We now have the communicators. We have the lasers. We virtually have everything that when we were watching it as kids, we were like, get the fuck out of here. This is not possible, right? Well, we know that it is. So is it possible that they've been successful in developing this hypersonic missile that could make a right turn to evade, um, you know, counterattack? I, I don't know the answer. Michael, every military expert that I speak to on my radio program or on CNN who's at a certain level, for example, Admiral McRaven 
uh, 37 years as a United States SEAL got to the top, was the, the head of that whole operation that took out bin Laden. I always ask those who I think have been briefed on Putin whether they detect changes in his personality. Because you have to believe that the very best profilers, you know, some some silence of the lambs kind of shit, right? That we've got the file on this guy as best as we can. And it's interesting because many of them tell me that, yeah, his actions in the last several months are at odds with the way in which he's acted over the last several decades. So I put great stock in that. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that they constantly saying is that Putin's objective, of course, is to divide the European Union, basically, you know, to weaken the bloc, um, to prevent, of course, uh, forget about, you know, Ukraine, but we're talking about preventing Ukraine from joining NATO at some point in the future. Um, they also, and I had um, General Mark Hurtling on this show as well, whereby his belief is that there's no way in the world that what Putin is trying to do, which is again to weaken the bloc, to um, divide the European Union, that it will work. In fact, what General Hurtling stated was that it's doing the exact opposite. It's really bringing back all of the people that Donald Trump divided from the United States. Remember, you know, he was cozying up to our allies and, um, you know, and throwing away our, well, he was throwing away our allies and cozying up to our adversaries. What Biden is doing now, of course, is rebuilding those relationships, which were pretty much left in, you know, in tatter. What are we about 15 minutes into this conversation? Because I took the under. I figured that Trump's name was going to get mentioned in the first five minutes. So I just lost some money because it's taken you this long to get to him. Well, because it's really not about Trump other than to say that Joe Biden right now is faced with obviously many, many decisions. But I am personally impressed with the way that the European Union has coalesced um, around President Biden and, of course, Ukraine in terms of stopping what they what they believe to be an existential threat to their own safety and security as well. I get a lot of uh, phone callers who will will say that that Biden is feckless. Biden is weak, leading from behind, that the way in which we got out of Afghanistan is directly related to Putin now trying to take advantage of, of Ukraine. Uh, I know they're getting that on Fox. By the way, there might be some elements of truth in that. But there was an essay that just ran in The Atlantic by Franklin Four. And I thought he made a really good point, which is to say that it's probably strategically wise for Biden not to be visibly out front on this so that it can't be presented as a United States versus, it's a, you know, Biden versus Putin type of thing because we don't want to carry the burden for all of this, right? We want it to be a worldwide obligation. So say whatever you will about about Biden and and how uh, front and center he's placed himself, but it has been a very united, with a few exceptions, she, China, obviously, maybe India, maybe a few others, Brazil, but the whole world seems on board with this. And I think it's true strength in numbers. Yeah, yeah. well, remember, you know, um, it did come out of Silence of the Lamb. 
It's a nice Chianti, right? A census taker once tried to <laughs> test me. I ate his liver <laughs> with some fava beans and a nice Chianti. That's what, that's what great, great movie. movie. And unfortunately, look, it yeah. looks as though we're in one of those sort of um, predicaments right now. I don't see how Afghanistan, I don't see how even Fox is putting Afghanistan to Russia invasion of the Ukraine, how we made it. For, at the end of the day, you could say whatever you want. Yes, a dozen or 13 uh, members um, of our military were killed by, the, um, by a bomber. I get it, and it's terrible. But we were in Afghanistan for over two decades. 125,000 people were evacuated safely. Was it chaotic? Isn't leaving war chaotic? Isn't getting in chaotic? I mean, just watch the first three minutes of Saving Private Ryan, and you see what it's like getting into war. Getting out of war is the same thing. So I, I don't understand how they even draw that comparison. Well, I think it probably could have been handled better on the way out the door. I get your point that stuff happens in war. I'm only happy we're no longer there. We were there way too long. That's the fault of all of his predecessors. Better than American troops have come home. And by the way, doesn't this remind you for some reason eerily similar with, you know, when Russia was involved with Chechnya? I mean, don't they realize that they're going to have to send an equal number of people to occupy the Ukraine? 100,000 or even 150,000 Russian troops will never be able to take down the entire Ukraine, will not be able to stop the heart and the, and the love for country that the Ukrainian people have? I have no doubt that the Ukrainian people, by the way, that's a part of my, my heritage, uh, even more of a reason for me to pay attention. I have zero doubt that they will outlast Putin and that the conflict the conflict won't outlast Putin. I hope I said that correctly. I think it's driven all by Vladimir Putin and the resilience that they've already shown. This is like Afghanistan on mm -hmm. steroids for Putin since his the, the 1979 Soviet invasion. I mean, it bankrupted the Soviet Union ultimately. And when you talk about their armaments not being up to standard, it's really a financial matter. They can't afford this war effort, and they certainly can't afford to keep it sustained. So, you know, Zelensky and the inspiration that he's provided, uh, I have zero, zero doubt that whether it's sooner or later, Russia won't be there and Ukraine will have its independence. T to me, I just, I feel 100% in saying that. I just don't know when. Yeah, I agree with you on that. Well, yesterday, the United States rejected plans by Poland to send fighter planes to the Ukraine. And as the war settles in, are you concerned about it widening into the former Eastern Bloc nations, which would, of course, would then trip NATO Article 5, right? Because an attack on one is an attack on all. Absolutely. And that's what I was saying at, at the outset. I'm very concerned about that. And the, the miscues between the polls and the administration, I thought, were really significant because you had Secretary Blinken I think it was on Sunday, embracing the idea, and then Ambassador Kirby speaking for the Pentagon one day later saying, no, we're not on board for that. And it seems like the reason that we weren't on board for that complicated transaction where the polls 
We're going to take these 28 or 29 MiG fighters that the, uh, that the Ukrainians were capable of flying. That's an important mm-hmm. point. They were going to take them to the Ramstein base in Germany. Then the Americans were supposed to facilitate the remainder of the transaction and get them into the hands of Ukraine. Americans finally said, no, we're not up for this. And the part that's hard for me to understand is the rationale that the reason we wouldn't do it is because we would then be provoking Putin, to which I say, why, if that's going to provoke him, hasn't our given weapons, giving weapons and money and the sanctions, all the things that we've done so far hasn't provoked him? Why do they think that would? They must have some intelligence. Or maybe, Michael, there's some back channel level of communication where Putin has said, that if, in fact, the Americans facilitate the transfer of those planes, that will then cause him to take uh, action against Poland. And OK, so again, it goes right back to the defiance of Putin. I don't believe I don't believe or at least I'm hoping not to believe that Putin wants to see World War Three. I don't I don't believe that's what he wants. Nevertheless, again, when you have somebody backed up and a guy who projects strength, let's not forget, you know, him wrestling a bear, riding, you know, bare-chested on horseback, you know, showing himself playing hockey. Of course, you know, he's playing the Russian hockey team, right? And he scored eight goals in a matter of like 10 minutes, right? Um, On top of that, let's also not forget he is, and I know this to be true, he is a samba expert, which is a form of, you know, martial arts. He he is. I know people who have trained with him. Um, Is he a master? No. Would he win top seat in the UFC, right, the ultimate fighter? No. But he is a tough guy. You take a guy like that, you pin him against the wall— I think he has no choice but to come out and to do something brazen. So I'm with you 100% on this. I believe that there's back-channel communications going on between, you know, one of Putin's top people. Maybe, you know, maybe they told it to, um, you know, Blinken or or whoever else they may have told it to. That if you do um, pass along these, I think they're MiG-29s, right? The the MiG-29s. Um, that this is going to yes. be a real problem uh, for, you know, for us, for Poland, for, you know, for Russia. And they're just working off of the facts. And I say this and I reiterate your position only because what scares me is how quickly the press, how quickly they jump on Joe Biden as being timid, feckless, you know, um, oblivious to what's going on, you know, they basically are now calling him a puppet on Fox News, OAN, and Newsmax, when to the contrary, none of us have the information that he has, and I believe that they're doing the best that they possibly can based on the information provided. Well, I wish that he hadn't, and I wish that NATO hadn't served notice that we would not intervene if he moved into Ukraine. You remember the whole minor incursion comment that President Biden made at a press conference off the cuff. I thought that was a mistake. So I'm, I'm not giving a, a pass on absolutely everything, um, but I think that some of the criticism is, is unwarranted. To the points that you just raised, I would say, and look, Michael, you, you know what it's like to negotiate with people over the course of your career. 
you got to have an off ramp. You you can you can draw a line in the sand and you can be a tough negotiator, but in the end, you've got to give your opponent somewhere to go where you want to close the deal. So what is that? I mean, it's it it seems to me, and I don't know if Ukraine would accept this, but it seems to me that the deal to be had here is one of of Putin maybe having some type of a proprietary interest in those west those those west these pardon me, easternmost Russian-speaking areas of Ukraine, and he is going to look for some kind of a Ukraine commitment to never join NATO. So maybe the deal is that NATO says there will never be an eastward expansion of NATO, which would include Ukraine. He gets some of the territory that he's always recognized as his own, and in response for that, he goes home. But he has to go home with something, or I don't think he's going home. Oh, I agree with you on that one. But I, I want to just expand on a point that you brought up. So these MIGs are or seem to be a real sore spot for Putin, these MiG-29 fighter jets. We saw Kamala Harris yesterday on television talking about how we have now successfully delivered, I don't know what she said, 200 additional Javelin missiles or something like that. Why is it that these MiG-29 fighter planes seems to be the straw that's breaking Putin's back? To me, I just don't understand it. Because it appears to me, from at least watching CNN and MSNBC and ABC and NBC and so on, when you start to see all of these tanks on the side of the roads still smoldering because these javelins just go right through them, And now, of course, the Russian soldiers operating them jump out, right? It's either that or you're going to fry to death. They jump out and then they get captured. I think it's the I think the answer is and there aren't that many of them. I believe, Michael, that there are only 28. I think it's therefore really the principle of this now taking on a new dimension because it is with the assistance of the United States indirectly an airspace incursion into Ukraine that Ukraine doesn't have today. And therefore that 40 foot long convoy, among other things, 40 becomes mile. much more of a sitting 40 duck. Mile. 40 yeah. mile, did I? Yeah, pardon me. Uh, becomes much more of a sitting duck than it is today. So I think it's principle. I also think it's practical. Okay, I'll go with you on that one. One last question on this, right? So Poland appears to have done that without even conversing with the United States and that I remember they said that the number three guy diplomat for uh, the United States Department um, stated that this Polish proposal caught the United States by surprise. That seems to be odd for me. What do you make out of that? I was surprised that the proposal was discussed the extent to which it was in public. And I mentioned that Secretary Blinken then publicly commented on it favorably. And within 24 hours, there was a reversal. And you saw Ambassador Kirby, who's the Pentagon spokesman, who, by the way, I think does a tremendous job. The best that I've seen of anybody in that difficult position of having to give information and also keep things close to the chest. But he then walked it back and made it very clear that we were not going to do that. This is pure speculation on my part. But I think that, you know, the hotline, the red phone must have rung in some respect where the word came from Putin that said, if that takes place, then I'm going to view this as Poland and the United States being in this war against Russia. 
listen, it's logical. Neither you or I know the answer to that. So, you know, again, it's purely speculation. But I want to ask you this, Mike. In recent days, Trump and the GOP have begun trying to once again rewrite history around his relationship with Zelensky and Ukraine, claiming that it was his administration that armed the nation and sent much-needed javelin missiles and other lethal aid. Now, this, of course, is without mentioning that he also tried to blackmail their president by trying to get him to dig up dirt on President Biden as well as um, Hunter Biden. With each successive crisis for which Trump is to blame, right, poor pandemic response, January 6th, Trump Trump and his apologists have gaslit the American people by rewriting history. Do you think that he'll succeed here as well? I think that Zelensky, President Zelensky, was an American political footnote until all this happened. You know, if you mention his name, you might know that he was a former comedian. You might know that he was a former actor. But the thing you were definitely going to know is, oh, that's right. He's the one who was on the telephone with President Trump when he was trying. I mean, I mean, now I kind of look at it in a different light, Michael. This poor guy had just been elected. He came to President Trump hat in yep. hand. He wanted two things. He wanted the money that had been earmarked by Congress and held up by the administration freed. Why? Because he desperately needed to protect himself against that which has happened from Russia. And he also wanted a grin and grip. He wanted to come to the Oval Office and stand with the American president so as to project a picture of unity and strength. And instead, the response that he received was one of, what can you do for us? I'm paraphrasing, of course, you know, vis-a-vis the Bidens need you to take a look into this blatantly domestic political matter. And and the implication was, of course, because it led to impeachment one, um, if you don't carry this out, this political mission for my reelection, then sorry, we're not going to help protect you against Vladimir Putin. Of course, I need to make clear, and you have the money flowed eventually. People say, well, yeah, but the money, yeah, the money did flow, but it was a holdup. And You know, I spoke to Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vindman recently and just had him again walk me through the dynamics of this because, yeah, we all heard it during the first impeachment fight. But now in view of this invasion to go back and to think, here's Zelensky, just gets elected, landslide (laughs) election, trying to establish some cred with the Americans. Zelensky uh, is on the phone from Ukraine. Vindman is in the basement of the White House in one of the situation rooms, listening in on the Trump conversation with Zelensky. Trump is over in the residence. Uh, if you listen to Vindman recount it, because you can read the transcript, but you have to hear what Vindman says. He said that Trump was in a foul mood from the get-go of the conversation. He didn't think that Trump had read the talking points, that Trump was on his own agenda. Vindman sits there and listens in horror to what he hears Trump saying, this quid pro quo. And when he gets off the phone, he sees his brother, Vindman sees his brother, who is also uh, playing a significant intelligence role in the White House. And he says to his brother, if what I just heard gets out, the president will be impeached. And of course, we all know what happened thereafter. Yeah. And, you know, 
Explain to me if maybe you know the answer to this, because I don't. So Steve Scalise is one of these members of GOP that's trying to rewrite, you know, the history as I'm referring to here. And Trump, right after all of this, right, puts out this written statement where, of course, because very similar to Putin, he's exceptionally laudatory to himself, that he heroically provided Ukraine with very effective anti-tank busters known as javelins, right? I mean, I'm not sure if he's fucking crazy or he's just fucking brilliant. I don't know the answer because one, it's got to be one or the other. And I don't think it's brilliant to be honest with you, but somewhere along the line, I just don't understand how he's able to get that message when we all know that it's absolute bullshit. How is it possible that this narrative is now being promoted and promoted and promoted by right-wing media and then as well as put out there by mainstream media as well? Well, in the end, they did get the jav- the money for the missiles, and they did get they did get support. But like, at what cost? We essentially held them hostage for some time period, forcing them to engage in some political skullduggery to support one side or the other in an American presidential race. That's it's it's appalling. I pay close attention to your former boss. I'm really intrigued with the things that he is saying and the things that he is not saying. For example, I watched him at, C- at CPAC. And, you know, if you go back and you look at the transcript, like there's enough in there for him to say, well, I condemned what's going on in Ukraine. I condemned the Russian invasion of U- Ukraine. But then there's always like a flip side of it that he can also point to that is praiseworthy of Putin and talks a great deal about how it never would have happened on his watch without telling us exactly why. And of course, you've got a number of talking heads who are who are doing the exact same thing. Although when you see a bombing like the maternity ward that we saw this week, I, I don't know how anybody can play this politically other than it's god awful. This guy, Putin, needs to be stopped by any means necessary. And let's, not for, let's not forget the bombing, Mike. Don't don't forget the bombing of the children's hospital as well on the same at the same time. Absolutely. Well, but so where does this all play out domestically in, in American politics? Don't know yet. Um, in the, the latest, uh, I think it was a Marist survey with NPR that I saw, Biden got a bump. That's to be expected uh, in terms of his overall favorability. He had, a, I want to say, 52 or 53 percent of Americans who approve of his handling of the situation in Ukraine thus far. It depends where it goes. It's too soon to know, I think, what all the ramifications will be, including for Trump. So hypothetically, if I was running for president and I'm up on the dais and Donald, of course, is the GOP nominee, as everybody believes stupidly that he will be. And he talks and he starts to spew this bullshit again, his fucking nonsense about it was I who gave them the javelin missiles, these these tank busters and so on. I would come straight out and say to him, listen, fat man, you're fucking delusional. All right. You are not the one who gave the military aid and you're not the one who gave the javelins. It was actually Congress who appropriated that money for Ukraine and provided the missiles. It's not you. What kind of a response do you think you would get from him on that one? Well, I think 
I think the better, if you were running against him, I think the better response would be to say, nobody knew who Zelensky was at the time. Nobody even knew who Zelensky was at the time of the impeachment, but we all know him now and look at him as this Churchillian figure. You held that guy hostage. You held that guy up for your own political uh, ad- advantage. I think that's the strongest argument that'll be that'll be made against him. Now, you know his response is going to be the sound bites that I offered you earlier about Biden's weakness and how Putin saw this as a time of vulnerability that he never would have taken action if Trump had been the leader. You know, earlier in our conversation, you said that uh, that Putin has gone to a heightened level of nuclear awareness. We did not respond in kind. I wonder if President Trump would have had the the temperament and the restraint not to do likewise. You know him better than anybody. Can you imagine somebody who says to him, Mr. President, Putin has gone to a DEFCON 1. What should we do? We advise that you don't because that may provoke him. Restraint is is not his strong suit. Yeah, neither is reading. And so it's not like he can give you an intelligent response. You know, he would ask someone to give him three bullet points written in crayon. And then ultimately, that's where, you know, that's where he would, he would say the thing that hits him, you know, first in the knee, something that, you know, he's able to remember, right, and to discuss. It's really terrible. But I still believe that the strongest argument is, you didn't give him the money, and you didn't give him the javelins. It was appropriated by Congress. You just held it up. So I would sort of merge the two into one because at the end of the day, he's not the one who made the decision. He just ultimately held it up until Congress said, it's not your call. Michael, I disagree with something that you said in in part of your your prior comment where I think I heard you say he wouldn't run. Um, Again, you know him much better than any of the rest of us. I I continue to believe that if he wants it, so long as he's healthy, solvent, and unindicted, he cannot be stopped from getting the Republican nomination. I stand by that. Mark the mark the date. We, you know, we will March mark the date. Twenty twenty two. We will mark the date along with a one dollar, um, a crisp one dollar bet, um, because. I mean, I don't know how he could get out. I don't know how he could get out of running. I don't know what that off. We talk about Putin needing an off ramp. I don't know what Trump's off ramp would look like to not run at this stage. So he would turn around and say that running has cost me a lot. I'm okay. I've lived my life. But what it's doing to my children, my grandchildren, all of a sudden he cares about them. My children, my grandchildren, their legacy, you know, that what I will do is remain active. I'm going to have Don Jr. take over Ronna Romney McDaniel's position in the GOP. We will come out. We will do it. But at this point, it's just not um, in the best interest of my family and my company. That's what he's going to do. And I'm going to tell you my reasons why. As Joe Biden continues to get these bumps up, and hopefully it continues, and he's at 53, 54, 55 percent, what will ultimately happen is Trump will realize that he cannot win in a general election. And the worst thing for Trump, worse than anything, is to be called a loser again. 
And he knows that he will lose in the general. He may be able to become, and I'm not 100% certain, but he may be able to become the Republican nominee. But I do believe that he will end up getting his ass handed to him again in the general election. And that would then stop the big lie. It would stop the grift that he has just raised so much money. Can I I respond to that? The reason, okay, the reason I disagree is he loses power. He loses almost all of his power the minute he says he's not running because people live in fear of him. Elected officials, Republican party types, and the moment that they think that he's not going to be the guy. And I also think that he loses a lot of the leverage that I believe he has right now vis-a-vis all these all these investigations. I mean, Michael, you know, again, you know the operation better than I do. He is facing so many legal assaults. It would be it would be a, a, a huge task for a multinational Fortune 500 company, which he's not. I mean, I think from listening to you, reading what you've said and others, it's basically a blown up mom and pop, meaning run very close to the vest by just a handful of people. And as you as a lawyer know, to defend against all this litigation is expensive and time consuming. And I can only imagine that he's able to defend himself because law firms sign on thinking, well, there's light at the end of the tunnel. If he's elected president again, then, you know, we're going to get a big payoff. Except it's not the big law firms that are representing. He's got like this girl, uh, Haba, who's representing him in one case. She was, I think, a workers' compensation lawyer out of strip mall office in New Jersey. Her family and members over at Bedminster. Right. And she's probably doing well, it. The white shoed firms won't touch no, him. Because, That's why. because he stiffed them already over the years again and again and again. They don't want to be bothered with it. Not to mention they also have clients that are that are Democrat that they don't want to lose. So it's easier for them to just say no. I'm just saying that there's a lot of legal peril out there for him that needs to be defended against and interesting issues about whether he could be indicted, if he's the president, et cetera, et cetera. He loses all of those bargaining chips the minute he's not running. By the way, the investigations may, the investigations may also lose interest in him if he's not running. I don't know. Yeah, I doubt it. Um, I think justice needs to be had, and I believe uh, everybody has to be held accountable. Otherwise, the Democrats' well, adage that no, about, one is okay, ab- no one about, is above the law doesn't exist. How about the fact, how about the fact that Manhattan DA Alvin Bragg seems to be folding his tent on his Trump investigation. And if the New York Times is to be believed, part of the rationale is you and whether they think that you as a witness are enough to get that case across the finish line. Well, look, it's not about me, uh, even though I do agree with you that uh, Ben Protus and I think Willie Rashbaum, who wrote the article, um, you know, alluded to the fact that there are several uh, individuals and that's that's been a conversation I've had with others. But if you ask um, others like Mark Pomerantz would turn around and tell you, which he has to me while we were all together, uh, my credibility is unquestionable. Why? Not because I want you to take my word for it. Trump already ruined my reputation by calling me a convicted liar. Interestingly enough, you know, if I ask most people, what is it that I lied about? What I lied about was the number of times that I told Congress that I told Trump about a failed real estate project, the Trump Tower Moscow project. I said it was three times 
In fact, we spoke 10 times. All right. Rest assured, I'm pretty sure anybody listening, you know, and everyone listening to this podcast would say, that's it. Yeah, that and the fact that um, I didn't tell uh, them that I made the payment on behalf of Trump for Stormy Daniels. Uh, You know, that was me at Trump's request, ensuring that that information, you know, didn't come out. So. All right. Can I ask you a question? Of course. I, I, all right. I want to ask Michael Cohen this question. So here's the universe of, of investigations surrounding Donald Trump. The Manhattan DA, Alvin Bragg, we just made reference to that. You've got Letitia James, the New York attorney general, working in tandem with Bragg. Civil case. You've got the January, you've got the January 6th commission and, I guess, by extension, the Justice Department. You have Georgia, the grand jury, and the Brad Raffensperger call. I don't think you have the Southern District of New York. You may know more than I again. And you also have this this civil litigation that now is allowed to go forward based on January 6th that I think is really significant and doesn't get a lot of attention. But anyway, you also have you also have the presidential inaugural committee um, investigation in D.C., Uh, There's also about a half a dozen sexual assault claims that are out there against him. You have my additional claim, Michael Cohen versus United against the United States of America, Donald Trump, Bill Barr uh, and eight other people uh, for an unconstitutional remand. He's got his hands full when it comes to litigation. Where is he most vulnerable? My question is, what does Michael Cohen say among all those legal challenges Where is Donald Trump most vulnerable? I actually thought it would have been Alvin Bragg's case, to be honest with you. Right. Um, Yeah. Right. Now, that seems to I wouldn't I don't know if I would say that it's gone. Don't forget, because Cyrus Vance did indict Alan Weisselberg and that case. But he's not flipping. Well, hold on a second. We we don't know anything yet. All right. Uh, The 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 real pressure hasn't been put on him yet. However, and it's also his boys are also involved. Jack Weisselberg, who's with Ladder Capital, Barry Weisselberg. And so so we don't know where that's going to end up going. However, Cyrus Vance also indicted the Trump organization. So I'm not 100% certain that Trump is out of the weeds on that yet. Uh, they could ultimately bring him back if, in fact, that Alvin Bragg doesn't have a change of heart. And before they um, release this second grand jury, you never know what can happen. Okay, but how about this? How, I mean, what of Trump's argument that when all is said and done, my God, they went all, here's, here's what Trump will say. They went all the way to the Supreme Court of the United States. They got my tax returns. They have crawled through every crevice around every operation I've ever been in. And this is all they got? They got they got Alan Weisselberg's, you know, kids or grandkids. I don't know what the hell it is. Their tuition being paid. I mean, is that like that old Peggy Lee song? Is that all there yeah, is? Well, let me ask you this. When it came to me, they took 10 million documents after they raided my home, my hotel room, my safety deposit box and my law office. 10 million documents. What did they get? $130,000 payoff to a woman not to talk about pulling the president's mushroom pecker? Serious? And that's what I went to prison on. And the rest of it was all just additional fluff that they threw on tax evasion. There's no fucking tax evasion. And I have all the records to prove it, which is. But aren't you making my point? I am making your point. However, 
you're guilty, you're guilty, and he still needs to stand before a court. Whether you think it's ticky-tack or not, it maybe some people want to I'm say that it is. Devil's, no, I, on I'm the other hand, right, I, on the other hand, would I, I say think- it's not. I would say that um, he is... You know, there's $170 million of tax refunds that the guy has gotten over the years. He's taken worthless property as deductions after inflating it. He's managed to get the benefit of better insurance rates, better uh, interest rates, and so on. So I'm not 100% certain. But I do want to just move on for a sec, Mike. How much? Right, are you getting Are you getting upset with not me in for the asking slightest. all my questions by the way, not in, the, in your podcast? Not in the slightest. I love it, by the way. And and I and I think you're great too. So I just the last thing I'll say, and I'll shut up. I promise. I just think that brag from a distance. I'm 90 miles away. I'm in Philly. You're there. I think from a distance, Bragg's mentality is one of holy shit. How much money got spent? How much time was invested in this? I better really have the goods if I'm going to bring it. And then I also say Cyrus Vance Jr. He had enough time. Why didn't he bring it? That's it. Listen, now I'm I done. totally agree with you. And everybody's angry at him as well. But let me ask you this. So President Biden yeah. cautioned Americans that supporting Ukraine will come with certain sacrifices, mainly fuel prices. I mean, have literally shot through the roof. What do you think the politics are for Biden around these decisions? You know, will he come out of this uniting Europe and leading this nation through really what Many have called the gravest foreign policy crisis in a generation. Or do you think that he's going to get pounced on by the GOP for, you know, for gas hitting $6 a gallon? I heard it's like $9 a gallon in California and then causing another recession. If you would, walk me through the political calculus here. Depends how it ends to begin. It depends how it ends. If it it ends with Zelensky still as president of Ukraine, some deal having been cut, uh, a version of a nuclear war possibility, and Putin back in Russia, with the exception maybe of those Russian-speaking territories in, in eastern Ukraine, then I think Biden comes out of that looking very well. But I got James Carville in my head. Like, you and I are both totally consumed, as I think Americans should be, in the Ukraine situation. But Carville's out there somewhere saying it's the economy, stupid. New data just came out this week, again, showing 40-year highs for inflation. I think people are really in pain at the pocketbook. And all the signs are bad for Democrats apart from Ukraine, given what happens in off-year midterm elections, where on average, it's like a 25 or a 26-seat loss. Republicans only need to pick up four or five. I think it's pretty certain that the GOP takes the House. I don't know what happens with regard to the Senate. Therefore, Biden's agenda will continue to be totally stalled. And uh, I I think it's very hard to reverse the trajectory, which before this happened, was all on the side of the GOP. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, there are. I'm never going to be the guy who turns around and says, oh, yeah, everything that comes out of Joe Biden's mouth, I agree with. Everything that Kamala Harris says, I agree with. I certainly don't. All right. And and I've said it on this show many times before. Ed Koch used to say, if you agree with me six out of 12 times, you should vote for me. If you agree with me 12 out of 12 times, you need to see a psychiatrist. I don't think Joe (laughs) Biden gets an A so far. I don't. But I think he's doing as best as possible and not sitting there 
pumping up his chest, trying to make it stick out farther than his gut, right? I'm talking about Donald, whereby he's saying, if, if I was still president, this would never be happening. You know, now all of a sudden the asshole has a crystal ball, right? It's, how about if I said, if I was president, this would never happen either. So therefore, we're on the same level, right? What other stupidity, Donald, do you want to throw out? You see, anybody can sit there. He certainly, what he should do is go to Third Avenue and open up a psychic joint. Because that's, I mean, he's always right after the fact. You know what we used to call Donald over at the Trump Organization? A Tuesday, uh, Tuesday quarterback for a Monday night football game. Because that's what it is. Oh, I would have thrown it all the way down the line. Of course you would. As you have 12 guys, right, who were sitting there, each weighing 340 pounds, trying to tackle your ass. But you would have known to throw it down the line at that specific play. Because that's what he is. He's a Tuesday quarterback. Let me ask you this question for a sec, Mike. Do you foresee the possibility of a regime change in Russia? I'm hearing a lot of talk about, you know, People talking about that. Or is Putin's position there basically secure for the rest of his life? I think it's impossible to know. But if these oligarchs who are now getting squeezed, I, I just saw that Roman Abramovich, who owns the Chelsea Football Club and is a friend of Putin's among them, um, the kid who's a Florida student who has been tracking airplanes for Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos and others, this is kind of funny, has now turned his attention on the Russian oligarchs to see where are their yachts and where are they headed. There is such immense pressure being brought to bear on Putin and on Russia generally that I think the financial penalty for him at home could theoretically bring about the sort of change that everybody would like to see. I mean, you know, the military is suffering if these memes and interviews are to be believed online, and I frankly never know what to believe uh, coming uh, from the ground in Russia, you've got Russian troops who were sent there to do this job, who had no idea where they were going, thinking it was a training mission. They can't be happy. The big issue, Michael, for me is information. Does the information about what's really going on in Ukraine get to the Russian people? My hunch is there's a generational divide and that the parents, the elders buy into what Putin has said or are too afraid to say otherwise, and that their kids who can't totally be shut off, can't be totally shut off from social media, know there's a different story, a more accurate one. If the word could get out, I could see him being toppled from within. That would probably be the best solution for all of us. You know, I don't believe that issues with the oligarchs is what's going to create a regime change. You know, let's not forget... All of these guys got to the position that they're in because Putin allowed it. At any given time, he could do what Mohammed ben Salman did, which is to gather everybody, put them into, you know, into the Ritz-Carlton in Moscow Ritz. and basically right. take all their money. Let's not forget, there was a time not many years back when I think his name Khodakovsky decided that he wanted to run for the presidency, was ballsy enough. He was one of, he was top three richest oligarchs in all of Russia. Walked into the Kremlin, sat down with Putin and said to him, I want to run for the presidency. Putin laughed at him. He goes, no, no, I'm dead serious. I mean, I'm worth like $40 billion, right? I'm, I, want to, I want to put my money, I love this country like you. I just want to let you know that I'm going to run for the presidency. You remember what happened to him? He never left the Kremlin. They brought him downstairs into the dungeon and Putin took his money. So I don't believe Abramovich or any of these other 
oligarchs are going to be the reason why uh, Putin's, you know, power starts to, you know, to crumble. I really believe that it's going to be the mothers and the wives um, of Russia that when their husbands and sons and, you know, spouses, when, you know, when, when they don't come home, right? Uh, you know, because Putin's saying that there's like 2,000 or less than that you know, Russian soldiers who have died. When the reports I'm reading, it's in excess of like 15,000. That's a real serious problem. You don't mess with a Russian woman, especially not when it comes to her son. I think there's truth in that. And I don't want to minimize what you said, but when those those daily conveniences of life disappear, people notice. You can't hide the fact that McDonald's is no longer open for business or Starbucks or the other corporations that have all clamped down. It's been so universal in its approach that I think it's bleeding them at every level of their economy. No, I totally agree with you. I totally agree with you. But Russians have learned over the years how to live you know, with very, very little, right? Little, that many of no them doubt. are used to, not the younger generation, but the older generation. Right. So Mike is where, as we're now nearing the hour, I have one last question hey, for wait. you. Okay, you can ask me, but I got to promote some shit. Go for it. But let me just ask you this question. I'm going to let you promote whatever you want, right? Um, so let me ask you this, right? Are you surprised by the Russian army's poor performance in the Ukraine? I mean, from logistics to morale to basic fighting, they just seem to be failing on all accounts. What's worrisome, though, is that Putin has a pattern of going to full, you know, maximalist attack once the more nuanced, the surgical strikes um, fail. Do you foresee this turning into a situation where Russia is reducing the Ukraine basically to dust and rubble via, you know, massive airstrikes in an effort to gain the upper hand? And that's why he doesn't want the MiGs over there? It seems like he's held back, right? I mean, yeah, there are troops on the ground in Ukraine, but he's got a lot more weaponry that he could unleash, and the question, I think, is whether he's going to go all in and nobody, none of the military professionals or experts are thus saying that he's all in in Ukraine. I hope a negotiated settlement can take place. I don't know if it can before we reach that level. Yeah, look, uh, I'm, I'm with you on that. Nobody knows, obviously, other than Trump. Nobody because knows. Because only Trump has the no. crystal ball. So, look, I just want to turn around. Thank you for joining me. However, you know. I was on your uh, your serious XM POTUS channel 124 program the other day, and I heard that um, we did very, very well in terms of ratings. You know, I have people that uh, are following and tracking this crap for me. So why don't you tell me what else Michael Smirkanish is up to other than, of course, your, you know, your Saturday CNN program? Okay, two things. One, because you have so many podcast listeners who are attuned to listening to podcasts. I have some podcasts of my own. I am particularly proud of my book club podcast. I'm a reader. I really don't speak for a living. I read for a living. I've always enjoyed for my 30 year career. I've enjoyed interviewing authors, all kinds of subjects all across the spectrum. So I have a pretty cool book club podcast. The final thing, Michael, is I have a what's daily the, what's newsletter. The of, what's the name of that podcast? It's it is book club with Michael Smirkanish. And I have a daily newsletter that reaches 70,000 people every morning by 730 a.m. As I like to say, Philly time. It's unique. 
Lots of people have newsletters. My newsletter contains hand-selected links by me that seek to present media balance. So I'm going to give you something from Breitbart. I'm going to give you something from Fox News. I'm also going to give you something from Slate or Salon or MSNBC or CNN because I spend so much time doing my own show prep each and every day. I'm now making available my read-in to my listeners and people have totally responded to this. It costs nothing. All people need to do is go to smirkanish.com and sign up. Don't judge me on one day. Look at a couple of different days ongoing and see what you think. So thanks for allowing me to promote that. Yep. Well, listen, I just want to let you know that I'm actually one of the people who have signed up. And it was it nice. was very assistive in conducting this interview <laughs> with you because you're good for my demographics. There, there you go. Well, Mike, again, thank you so much for taking the time. Um, hope you enjoyed that cigar. I've never had, by I the did. way, just so hey, you know, I've hey, never had a yeah. guest on the show who is enjoying. I've had some who are drinking during this show, but never having a cigar. Hey, Mike, Michael, one last thing. You, your listeners should know that for my wife's recent birthday, a milestone, but I shall not <laughs> identify it specifically, you provided, I paid for it. I paid for a cameo from you. You and a you know, do you want to know uh, last thing? Do you want to know in whose company you were for the paid cameos I bought for my wife? As long as you tell me it wasn't Don or Don Jr., I'll be fine. No, here we go. You, Governor Sarah Palin, <laughs> and and she was great, by the way. She was as good as you were, Michael. And also Captain Lee. Oh, I love Captain what the Lee. That? It's called Below From Deck. Below deck. Love Captain the Lee. Three, the three of you, you guys made me a hero. All three of you. Like, what a carpool. You, Captain Lee, and Sarah Palin. Think about that. Yeah. All right. I'll talk to you soon. You got it, Mike. Be well. Be safe. <laughs> <laughs> See you soon. See ya. And now for today's mea culpa. If Trump's shit show of a Hannity appearance showed us anything, it's that Trump is still deeply enthralled with Vladimir Putin. Even when presented with evidence of war crimes, Trump refuses to condemn Putin. He instead says that it's not the Putin he remembers. Even more bizarre, Trump claims that Putin's evil behavior would not have happened if he were president. That somehow Putin could not and would not possess those same traits in a Trump administration. That Putin is some kind of political werewolf who turns evil only during full moons and when a Democrat is in the White House. The fact is that Trump truly admires what Putin has done. In his zero-sum world, there are winners and losers. The strong conquer the weak, and the spoils of war are those for who dare to take them. Trump loves Putin because he is jealous of his dictatorial powers. He's jealous of the fact that Putin, and Putin alone, decides the fate of the Russian people. Trump used to sleep with a copy of Mein Kampf next to his bed, and was an admirer of the Fuhrer. One of those assholes who would try and equivocate that Hitler did some good things for Germany. With Putin, he can't quite make the same leap to condemning him because it would mean condemning his own worldview as well. How do you condemn a man that you admire? That's why he had so much trouble answering Hannity's questions. And that's what's so fucking terrifying. And thanks for listening. Mea Culpa is brought to you by Audio Up, Midas Touch, and LSJ Media. And it's written and produced by Jimmy Jelinek. Executive producers are Jared Gustat, Jimmy Jelinek, myself, Michael Cohen, and Phil Alberstadt. <laughs>
Our editor is Lisa Orkin. It may be a new day politically, but nowadays the landscape is more confusing than ever. Donald Trump may have lost the battle for the presidency, but in many ways, Trumpism is winning the war on the state and local level. Maya Culpa is here to help guide you through the wilderness and keep you informed. And let's face it, we all want Trump, Rudy, and the rest of these seditious traitors to see justice. And folks, it's coming. So stay tuned as I guide you through the twists and turns of the criminal process that will ultimately see them behind bars. Maya culpa, nothing but the truth.